Good evening. I really do like that hymn. I remember uh, at the spring conference we sang that when Joe McHale was speaking, and he came up here and said, I think I'm just going to close in prayer. It's um, a very hard hymn to uh, sing for me personally. Very few hymns actually bring tears to my eyes, and that is one of them. Uh, well, Robert, when he asked me to speak with him, um, we're all at brigades, and obviously at brigades we have many young men there that help, and uh, Justin was walking by as Robert asked me to speak with him, and I said, yeah, I'll speak with you, Robert, and Justin says, but you only get 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> I, I uh, guess I'm getting the reputation of not leaving uh, the people I'm speaking with much time to speak, so hopefully I'll be able to redeem myself of that tonight. But Robert asked me to speak on the fear of the Lord, um, and the hardest thing for me personally in studying this was to find how much is mentioned in the Word of God about the fear of the Lord. Um, we Google searched it, and there was about, uh, if you put in the phrase, the fear of the Lord, you will find over 100 verses in the Old Testament alone referring to the fear of the Lord. And so there's so much about it, and the thing that swept me away was finding how many people today in the church have no idea what the fear of the Lord is, and yet you can read the Word of God and read it over 100 times about what the fear of the Lord is, and no one knows what it is. So I want to answer that question this evening first. What is the fear of the Lord? So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. The question for us being here tonight is, what is the fear of the Lord? Um, after I answer this question, I want to go back to the uh, book of Malachi, and I want to look at uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart is, when you look upon the verses talking about the fear of the Lord, oftentimes you, you look back to the children of Israel and you find that the fear of the Lord was, was very absent in their hearts very often. And so uh, you see a lot of things that happen in their lives because there is no longer fear of the Lord. And so I want to look at the results of the absence of the fear of the Lord. Um, but our question being here tonight, what is the fear of the Lord? Um, in Exodus chapter 20, obviously this is talking to the children of Israel. This is when the children of Israel arrive at Mount Sinai for the first time. Um, the, the Lord comes down on the top of the mountain. Moses goes up and then brings down what we know as the Ten Commandments along with some uh, other commandments from the Lord. But in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18, uh, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And so here we see the children of Israel, they have a fear towards the Lord, but it's a trembling fear. Um, one more verse in verse 20, it says, And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, and so that you may not sin. And so here today, or in this day, the children of Israel see a glimpse of God's glory on the mountain, and they tremble. Uh, I'll never forget uh, a message by Mike Atwood. He was uh, speaking on Peter and um, how Peter saw a glimpse of God's glory and he was forever changed. And so hopefully that's our prayer here this evening so that we can see God's glory so that we will be forever changed. But we see that the children of Israel had a fear towards the Lord that the Lord did not want them to have. Uh, they had a trembling fear um, to, to look upon God, to see his power and might. They, they trembled. And rightfully so, it is, a, it is a fearful thing. But then Moses responds and says, uh, in verse 20, he says, Do not fear. And that word fear is that we're trembling. Um, but then if you continue to read, it says, For God has come to test you, and that his fear 
may be before you. If you ever do a word study on the word fear in the word, you'll find that there are probably four different kinds of words. Uh, but this word here means reverence, reverence. Um, and so the Lord here does not desire his people to come before him and just tremble, tremble in his presence. Um, the Lord doesn't want his people to fear him because of his power and might. He, he desires his people to fear him because of who God is. Now, we should fear God's power. In fact, in Hebrews, he, um, the writer tells us um, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, but the Lord de desires us to have reverence to his name, um, to fear him because of who he is, not because of the power he has. And I think that is something that we struggle with today. I honestly think um, we have lost sight of who God is. Um, I remember when me and Robert met to review what we were going to be speaking on. Uh, me and him both agreed on the fact that so many people today view God as simply our friend. You know, God is our friend. He's, he's going to hold our hand when we're going through hard times. And wherever we go, it's okay because God is there. He's always there. Yeah, that is true. But God is not simply just our friend. In fact, calling the Lord our friend is really demoting the Lord to what he really is. He is our father. And the Bible tells us that uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You know, I, I remember growing up, my parents had to um, uh, really uh, discipline me just once growing up. And uh, <laughs> kind of hurts my feelings that you guys would laugh at that. But, um, but I remember growing up that I knew my parents loved me. I know they still love me, and I know that if I ever needed anything from them, I could go to them, and they would help me. With everything they could, they could help me. But I also know, knew growing up that if I were to do anything and to disobey them, that there would be consequences and I would be punished. And I think that is the fear that the Lord has for us, has a desire for us to have, to live our lives in fear, not simply of him and his power, but in fear of disobeying him, the fear of, of, of disappointing God. Uh, I was talking to Jesse Gentile, and he summed up the fear of the Lord as this. He said, the fear of the Lord is living your life, thinking your thoughts, spending your money, everything, everything that goes on in your life with the belief that God is always there. And, and you know, it's interesting to see that growing up, I remember singing the song practically every Sunday, oh, be careful, little hands, what you do, for the Father up above is looking down with love. So since we're uh, from the very beginning of age, really, we put in our children's mind, oh, be careful, little hands, what you do, because God is always watching you. And it's, it's amazing to see that we have that mentality. We, we, we believe that God is always there, but we don't allow that to transform our lives. And so that's really the Lord's desire for us to have. But the fear of the Lord was really supposed to be a part of uh, every day for the children of Israel. Every day, every aspect of their life, their thoughts, their actions, what they spent their time doing, thinking about, was to be centered around the fear of the Lord. So that's our question here this evening. What are you doing with your spare time? You know, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? Would it please the Lord? Or would it disappoint the Lord? And so if you uh, go ahead and turn over to uh, Malachi. Um, I'm hoping not to take too much time. Um, really, the fear of the Lord is something that you will have to study by yourself. Like I said, there's so many portions of Scripture. There's so many aspects to the fear of the Lord that I can't stand here in 20 minutes, let alone 45 minutes. Um, to, to tell you everything about it, but to go home and really study it, and Malachi is really a good place to study the fear of the Lord. Uh, if you remember last time I spoke, I was with Justin, and uh, we spoke on uh, the fear of the, uh, no, we didn't speak on the fear of the Lord, we spoke on worship, 
acceptable worship before God. And we saw that the children of Israel were in a state where they had, their hearts were just in a horrible place. Their, their hearts were not in a place where God was. And we'll look at how the children of Israel had gotten to a point where they would offer up to the Lord sacrifices, but it wasn't what the Lord desired them to offer them up. It was, they were blemished, they were lame, they were blind, they were, they were these, these, these worthless animals. Um, they were doing just enough to make it look like they were obeying the Lord when really they weren't obeying him at all. And so Malachi, the main focus of the book of Malachi is on the heart of those who worship him. So once again, we're looking at the results of the absence of the fear of the Lord um, and examples of that in Malachi. Um, to understand the book of Malachi, you really have to understand verse 2 and verse 6 of chapter 1. And verse 2 reads of Malachi chapter 1, it says, I have loved you says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And we see that the children of Israel here lost a glimpse of who God was. They really did. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's what we talked about just now, how we have lost sight of who God is, and the children of Israel have lost sight uh, of who the Lord is, his love towards them. And because they had lost sight of that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the result was that the people had become half-hearted to God. They'd become apathetic, something you also see in the church today. Um, but um, the result number one that we're going to be looking at is when the fear of the Lord is not present in our lives, um, our service to the Lord is affected. And so in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offered then to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And so once again, this is talking to the priests specifically in these verses. And so we see here that when the fear of the Lord is not present in our hearts, the first thing that is affected, at least mentioned in the book of Malachi, is our service to him. Um, um, and so the question here and the picture to us really is, in our service to him, is your heart, are you half-hearted to God? You know, uh, throughout the week when we go to Awanas, we go to brigades, oftentimes I find myself in, in, in the thought of, oh my goodness, it's time to go to brigades again. It's time to go to Awanas again to see those crazy children. Um, but, but what is your heart towards the Lord? That's something we should ask ourselves every day. No matter what we do for the Lord, what is our heart towards the Lord? Um, and are we half-hearted to the Lord? And so once again, there's so many things I want to talk about. It's just so hard. Um, and then the second result of the absence of the fear of the Lord is in Malachi chapter 14. And we see that the second thing listed in the book of Malachi that is affected is our worship to the Lord. Uh, so Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14 says, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And so we see here that the children of Israel weren't offering up to the Lord the lame, the blind, the sick, the blemished sacrifices because they didn't have a perfect sacrifice for the Lord. They had them. They just, they just thought it was a waste to offer it to him. And so in our worship every day, not just Sunday mornings, the question here is, 
you know, what is your heart towards the Lord? You know, what is the cost in it? Um, what is your heart's purpose behind your worship? Um, once again, not only on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week. When you offer something to the Lord, what is your heart? Uh, and why are you giving it to him? Oftentimes I find myself giving the Lord my leftovers, my leftover time, my second time. Um, whatever I have left, I give to the Lord. So what is your heart? Um, what is your heart's purpose behind your worship? And result number three, once again, keeping track of time, our marriages are affected. Um, Malachi uh, chapter 2 and verse 13. Once again, last I checked, I was, I'm not married. And so um, I don't mean to stand up here and try to give you uh, marriage advice because uh, uh, I'm not even in a relationship right now. I'm just trying to share what um, the Lord has laid on my heart. But uh, Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with, uh, with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive uh, with goodwill from your hands. So that verse is referring to um, the people coming to the Lord and, and you know, crying and weeping and, and to make it look like they were really repentant. Uh, many commentators believe that um, this is referring to insincere repentance. And so we, we know that the Lord knows our hearts. And so we can, we can come here to church, we can cry, we can feel the conviction, um, but the Lord truly knows our hearts. Verse 14 says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Uh, when I read this, the, the first thing that came to mind is how often you see uh, married couples these days who were, who were at one time so in love with each other. They're so in love with each other, and, and eventually, as the times go, as the years go by, you see that the love just disappears. It dwindles down to nothing. And what is the result? Divorce. They want no part in it. Um, our family has experienced that um, just recently, and it truly is a heartbreaking thing to see just the love of two people disappear. I, I don't understand it, but um, we see that the, this third result mentioned in Malachi, because of the absence of the fear of the Lord, is that our marriages are affected. And so I want to ask you, both married and single, is the fear of the Lord present in your relationship? Um, I want to suggest that perhaps the fear, uh, the love that two people share disappear for each other because the fear of the Lord was never in your relationship or perhaps the fear of the Lord has um, uh, left the relationship. And so really, if you're married, you should ask yourself, is the fear of the Lord um, in my life as a person? Is the fear of the Lord in my spouse's wife? Or life, and is the fear of the Lord in our relationship together? And and for me personally, it spoke to me as, you know, if I ever find a woman, I hope that she fears the Lord, and I hope that I will fear the Lord at that same time. And once again, the fear of the Lord um, is not simply fear. It's not trembling. You know, it's, try, it's living uh, in the fear of disappointing him. And so, so is the fear of the Lord in your relationship together? <laughs> and so when I was studying this, 
and seeing how many verses are mentioned uh, about the fear of the Lord, my first question was, what happened to the fear of the Lord? Why is it something that you never see, and yet it's talked about so often in the Bible? So uh, go ahead and turn to, with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This will be the last portion, at least I read. Our time is slowly disappearing. Quickly disappearing, more like it. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is once again talking to the children of Israel. And so the question here is, what happened to the fear of the Lord? And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Now this is a commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his commandments which I command you, you and your son, and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. And so uh, an interesting study would be if you were to study the fear of the Lord, you should write down um, what things are often paired with the fear of the Lord. And in Deuteronomy especially, if you, re- if you look up the verses where it's talking about the fear of the Lord, something you'll find as a result of the fear of the Lord in someone's life is obedience to the Lord. Obedience to the Lord. And it's something really you don't, you don't see much anymore. Um, and so, with that in mind, something that the Lord laid on my heart is that your heart cannot truly be full of the fear of the Lord, and yet you, you continue to live in disobedience to Him. You know, um, every Sunday it seems like we come to church and we hear a sad story from, from parents saying, you know, I don't know where we went wrong with our child, but, you know, they've strayed away from the Lord. And, you know, it's a heartbreaking thing how, how often you hear those words. But I want to suggest that perhaps the fear of the Lord is not in that child's life. Um, but if you drop down a couple verses, I wish we could read the whole chapter, but I promised Robert I wouldn't take too much time. Um, but in verses 6 through 9, this is talking specifically to the parents. It says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them on a sign, uh, um, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so we see here that the, all of the children of Israel were commanded to fear the Lord. But we see that the, the parents of the children of Israel had a specific command from the Lord. Uh, the parents were commanded to teach their children the fear of the Lord. And not only that, but to show them. And if, if you look at um, verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. That word diligently is actually a very strong word. It means to pierce. To pierce. Interesting. To your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, whenever you are. You shall be talking about it. When you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. That speaks to me as what you do. As a parent, you know your children are obviously watching you. What you do, does it speak about the fear of the Lord in your life? They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That speaks to me of something you can see. And perhaps one of the most important things it says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, when I read that verse, the first verse that came into my mind in Joshua, when he says, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And so I want to respectfully ask the parents here, what are you doing in your life? that teaches your, uh, your children what the fear of the Lord is? And what are you doing in your life that shows them what the fear of the Lord is? 
is the fear of the Lord evident in your life? Uh, I remember uh, one of the young people, I can't remember who it was, asked at, a, uh, at the young people's Bible study on Monday night, they said, what does the fear of the Lord look like? You know, it's something you don't see, but what does it look like in someone when, when it is there? And it's really quite an easy question to answer. If, if someone truly fears the Lord, their whole life will be changed. Their thoughts, their actions, what they do, what they spend their money on will, will be changed automatically because their focus is on the Lord. And so I want to ask, you know, the parents, what are you doing that teaches your children the fear of the Lord? And, and to the children here, uh, you know, our parents can only teach us so much. Um, I know my mom and my dad have taught us so much, but, you know, it often hurts them when we do something that they warned us of. And yet, you know, the parents are left here wondering, you know, are you going to listen to me or what? Um, but what are you doing as a person, as a child of God, not just as a child of your parents, but as a child of God, what are you doing to, to apply the fear of the Lord to your life? Uh, what are you doing to learn what the fear of the Lord is, and what are you doing to express the fear of the Lord in your life? Um, we did fall behind, but I don't know if I took too much time or too little time, but that's all I'm going to say. Um, but what I wanted to leave you with was that the fear of the Lord was to be an everyday thing for the children of Israel. It wasn't supposed to be a one-day thing. It wasn't supposed to be in just one area of our life. And so what are you doing? That shows the fear of the Lord. What are you doing to learn the fear of the Lord? Good evening. Is this too hot? Maybe a little. Well, uh, I wanted Nick to speak on the fear of the Lord because I wanted to look at the joy of the Lord, which I think are two sides of the same coin. Uh, but before we do, thank you, Nick. I feel that this is something that is very applicable. Um, I know me personally that in my life there's the fear of the Lord, the fear of Bob, and the fear of spiders. <laughs> so those are the three things that I fear. Uh, so I'd, uh, I'd like to open by asking in a similar fashion that Nick did, just what is the joy of the Lord? Um, <clears throat> A little bit of background, this is something that I began to study about a year and a half ago uh, at a time in my life where there was no joy anymore. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm battling allergies. Um, when there was no joy, and it was accumulation of many years of not really having a purpose. And it wasn't until... I came to a point where I had to ask myself, what am I doing with my life now that nothing that I've planned is going my way, and how do I turn things around? And the reason that I came to the, the joy of the Lord was because I could see many people, both believers and non-believers who had things that I thought that I wanted or needed. Um, people who were able to accumulate wealth and be Sunday morning Christians or people who could skate by in life and never show up to church once. And so I was saying to myself, what is it 
that brings me joy and how do I change that? How do I change my life to be um, in line what, with what the Lord wants it to be? And so I'd like to read uh, from Psalms chapter 29, or 21, excuse me. And we'll be reading in verse 1. We'll be flipping around through a few uh, verses just to get a better idea of what it means to have joy in the Lord and where it comes from. Psalms 21.1 The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. So here we see that the King David, who is at this time uh, fleeing from King Saul, that, uh, that he takes joy in the strength of the Lord and in his salvation. He does not take joy in his circumstances or in his possessions, but we find that joy goes deeper than happiness right, off, uh, right out of the gate. Uh, and, and in his salvation, how greatly will he rejoice, even on the run. David is able to rejoice in the salvation that the Lord has made. Even though it is not at hand, he is hoping for that. He is able to to look forward and to hope and to have faith that the Lord will fulfill his promise and to take joy in that and rejoice in the Lord in that. And then over to Isaiah chapter 51. reading in verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. This is, again, speaking of a time when Israel will be in great distress, but the Lord will come to her aid. Um, we've been studying this theme throughout the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights. Um, and, and it's beautiful to see that even before the trials have taken place, the Lord has already made a, a way of escape from these tribulations. And that not only will he bring you through these, uh, these trials, but also the, the richness of the blessing that comes with with his way of escape if we are faithful. And I believe that in our lives, it is very easy to be bogged down by these temptations when we do not see the light at the end of the tunnel and when everything that we have planned falls apart. And yet, to be able to have faith, and we think of the verse in James, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we have that hope for the glorious appearing of our Lord and how beautiful it will be when we are able to see him again face to face. And so closely tied with this idea of joy is that we are able to joy in what we have now and to hope for the promises that Christ claims that he will fulfill over to Jeremiah chapter 15. 
And we'll be reading in verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. So here we see that in the word, the prophet finds joy. And that he can rejoice, even though we know that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet who prophesied destruction against Israel. And yet he was still able to rejoice in the faithfulness of the Lord, knowing that a way of salvation had been made for the people. And it was because he was called by the Lord, just as we have been called out from this world by God, we too can look unto our Lord as we go through life and as we face these tribulations and these trials in our lives. Um, And really the only way to be able to get through these is with the same sort of fear of the Lord that was mentioned. If we do not have that respect for the Lord and the understanding of his character, that he's perfect and that his way is perfect, then we struggle to find faith that he will continue to be faithful and that he will fulfill his promises. So I would also like to look at Habakkuk in chapter 3. And we'll read uh, verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon my high places. So again, we find that our joy lies in our salvation. And the, the nation of Israel at this time was not able to truly say that they had joy and salvation because it was not given to them at this time, but it was something that they had hope for. And yet we can stand here knowing that we do have salvation, something that is tangible, these promises that have been fulfilled, and how beautiful it is to know that even when all of the things in this life crumble, that we can still turn to the Lord and be joyful in his salvation and hopeful for the fulfillment of his promises. And there are so many aspects of salvation that we have to be, to be joyful in. His, his mercies that endureth forever, uh, not receiving the things that are due to us. Um, his grace in giving us something that we do not deserve. His boundless love, so much so that he would send his only son to die. And his glory, the fact that he was able to make a way of salvation that was available to to all men. And it's wonderful to be able to attend a meeting where we can come every Sunday morning and break bread and remember these aspects of our Lord and Savior. And so, I'd like to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And 
And we'll be reading from verse 10. And with an understanding of the joy of the Lord and where it is derived from, what, what is it for and what role does it play in our lives? In Nehemiah 8.10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we find that the, the joy of the Lord is what props us up and what gets us through each and every day. Many times uh, I've heard atheistic friends or acquaintances tell me that Christianity is a crutch. Well, when I'm sick and I need something to lean on, I have no problem leaning on a crutch. And to say that it is a, it is a shame, shameful thing to, to lean on God to get you through your day, through your life, is not only a proud thing to say of a person, but it is also an insult to God to, to limit him to something that is just a crutch because there are so many things that we can look to the Lord for. And really, more than a crutch, he is what is carrying us. Perhaps a more apt term would be a wheelchair. But, uh, but it's, not, it's not this idea that we can get through it on our own until we hit a problem, but that he is the only thing getting us through. And so in Isaiah chapter 29... And reading from verse 19. The meek also shall inherit their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. And this caught my eye coming from a standpoint of um, taking joy in materialistic things. Being able to see that Extra joy is given to the meek. And our brother Nick mentioned it just a few minutes ago that uh, it is a terrible thing to be uh, humbled by the Lord. And that is something that we should seek to do ourselves before we find ourselves in a position where we have to be humbled. Um, And yet, most often the people who can say with their lives that they really lived for the Lord were the people who had so little. The people who were willing to do anything for the Lord and willing to let someone else get the glory. Willing to let God get the glory, which should really be our goal. And that goes hand in hand with the fear of the Lord. Knowing that he is the only one who deserves glory. The only one who deserves our praise and adoration. And in Zechariah chapter 8, in verse 19, Thus said the Lord of hosts, The feast of the fourth month 
And the feast of the fifth, and the feast of the seventh, and the feast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness, and cheerful feasts, therefore love and truth and peace. So this is at a time when the nation of Israel was not walking in the ways of the Lord, and it took a dramatic turn of events for these people to realize that, and that the reasons they were not being blessed was because they were not fulfilling the laws of the Lord. And so we find that in this fulfillment of these feasts, the house of Judah was joyful. And so much so that uh, I believe this is the chapter where they continued to have this feast for a full week instead of just the day. And it's kind of stunning that we find people who choose not to come to the Lord's Supper, to this feast of remembrance, this time of joy where we have to remember our, our Savior and the beautiful work that was done for us because they take no joy in it. And yet, those of us who are there every morning, I think, can say that we come away more in love with our Savior each week. And one last verse that I'll read is in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So again, it is reinforced that even in times of affliction, we've been given a comforter in the form of the Holy Ghost, who is a joy to us. It is joyous to know that we can have a personal relationship with the Creator, a personal relationship with our Savior. And He is not someone that, uh, that is selling us fire insurance. He's not someone who's only giving us a get-out-of-jail-free card, but he, he wants to be involved in our lives and to bring us joy, to bring us comfort in these times of sorrow and in trials. And this brings us to the, to the so what portion of this message. What if there are other things that, that bring us joy? What if we can get by without the joy? Well, within this very chapel, it's easy to see that when there is a lack of joy, there are other problems that arise. Um, if you've ever seen the show House on TV, all of these bizarre medical cases go to him when they can't be solved by someone else. And the first thing he'll do is to give them a treatment that's probably going to make them worse, which is an odd thing to do. But what it does is it begins to narrow down the, 
number of things that could be wrong in this person that he's treating. And in the same way, we've listened to numerous wonderful messages over the last months detailing ways that we can have a closer walk with our Lord, bringing out beautiful points about his character, and yet we see in many areas of the church numbers dwindling, people walking around less happy. And it's getting to a point where some of us don't really know what to do. And maybe it's because there's no fear. And maybe it's because there's no joy. Maybe it's because of something else. But it is important for those of us who can bring up instances in their life where they have walked closely with the Father and experienced that joy to continue to show it. And the love of Christ to show it to these people uh, who, who are hurting. And that's part of our ministry and encouragement to fellow saints, to be able to to come up and to share an encouraging verse, to, to talk with them and to love them and to, to be invested in a relationship with them, just as the Lord is interested in a relationship with us. And if we take joy in the things of this world, why are we surprised that when those things are taken away, we find ourselves miserable? And longing for the things of this world are like Lot's wife. She turned around and desired Sodom and was turned to a pillar of salt when there was a way of salvation made for her. And it is troubling to see so many saints who struggle with temptation and have no joy in the Lord and fall into the world. And it is something that maybe some of us have come close to. Um, and I appreciate all of the ministry that is given at this assembly from the pulpit and how faithful the brothers are to, to share the word um, and to not water down the message because it is so important to, to be faithful to the Lord and to show forth his character and to show forth his love each and every week. And the reason I say that is because uh, a little while ago, I was talking with someone from the assembly who said that they were surprised that we had heard two gospel messages in consecutive Sundays because they said, well, aren't they just preaching to the choir? And I said, not only do we not know if everyone in these pews knows the Lord, but it is something that is refreshing and something that is beautiful to be reminded of. And it's something that we might be lacking. Um, and we're, we're a little over time, but I'd like to close by singing hymn number 229. 
if we could. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you so much for everything you've done for us today, Lord. I pray that you would just instill in all of our hearts the fear of God, Lord, that we could, that we could know your will, Lord, and that we could uh, understand why you want us to obey your commandments, Lord. And, and then following that, instill the joy of the Lord as well, Lord, that we can, that we can have a, a solid joy in you that, that we know that your will is being done in us, Lord, and we understand the gift that you have given us, Lord. And I pray that you just remind us of this daily, this week especially, and then for the rest of our lives, Lord, that we could always remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.